Let's now turn to the Word of God that He may speak to us. Our scripture reading comes first from Ephesians chapter 6. Both of our readings this morning will be in connection with our text coming from Colossians, which we'll read uh, in just a little bit. But we'll begin by reading some other scripture texts related to it. So first, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bondservants, or slaves... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or, or, or is free. Masters, Do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So far from Ephesians, let's also turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 1 Peter 2, we'll begin in verse 11 and we'll read through verse 25. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but when he suffered, When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
So far, the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 82, stanzas 1 through 3. The text that we want to focus on this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. We'll read from verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 3, verse 22. Bondservants, or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So far, the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been working our way through the letter to the Colossians, and every now and then it's it's good, as we've done this a few times, to just stop, take stock of where we are and say, uh, how does this fit, the text we just read, into the larger picture of Colossians? And so I want to take just a minute uh, to, to do that. Remember that the big idea in Colossians is that we, you and I, were by nature born with hostility in our hearts towards God, alienated from Him, estranged from Him, and dwelling in the kingdom of darkness. And that it is by the grace of God that here we are now, having come to know God, having been taken from darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. And, and so, uh, as I've stated many times, as, as new members of Christ's kingdom, we have a new future in Christ, we have a new hope And we even have a new identity. We are no longer who we used to be. We are people that are bought by the blood of Christ. Uh, And and it's really important to get that right, uh, the order of things. Uh, We have been reconciled to God. We are brought into God's kingdom. And it's because of that that we now live as God's people. It does not work the other way where if we can pull ourselves up and and live like God's people, then we will be God's people. It doesn't work that way. Rather, because we are, so we do. So being precedes doing. Being Christians precedes living as Christians. Uh, Who we are in Christ comes first. What we do as Christians flows out of that. Uh, So that's what Paul has laid down, and that then forms the context of these instructions now to to slaves and to masters. Uh, Many of the early Christians were slaves, and and some of them, a few of them, were slave owners. And I suspect that perhaps that raises a question in, in some of our minds, is that possible to be a Christian and a slave owner? Uh, How does that work? So that's the first question I want to deal with briefly this morning. Uh, Many people will look at a passage like this and, and they wonder, is this a compromise between God 
and the evil institution of slavery. How can God tell slaves to obey their masters? Does that not imply uh, that, that the slavery is, is legitimate? Uh, doesn't that affirm and uphold uh, the ancient institution of slavery? Uh, likewise, how can God give instructions to slave owners uh, rather than simply saying, you know, let your slaves go free right here, right now? Uh, and this is one of the, the arguments that many critics of Christianity will also raise against the Bible. Look, it, it affirms, it supports slavery. And, and there are multiple reactions to it. Uh, on, on one end, there are those who, who simply say, yes, the Bible affirms slavery in every way. And on the other hand, there are uh, evangelicals most often that say, uh, no, the Bible condemns slavery outright. The reality is, is somewhat more nuanced. There are several things we want to say. Uh, first of all, we need to consider this issue from the perspective of first century Rome, uh, which is the context in which it was written, and, and be careful not to make assumptions based on what we know about slavery coming from uh, the slave trade in, in North and South America. Uh, slavery in the Roman Empire was not... Uh, the same as the slavery that was practiced in the Americas. It, it was not based on race, and it typically was not for life. Uh, the category of slave or, or bond servant in Rome uh, was a huge section of the population in Rome. Roughly a third to maybe even a half of, of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Uh, and so that, that makes for some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, all kinds of different occupations could be held by slaves. Anything from manual laborers to even teachers or even doctors uh, might be slaves. There are also many different ways that someone could become a slave in the ancient world. In many cases, a person would become a slave to pay off a debt uh, that he or she accrued. Uh, and this would be then an agreed-upon contract between two different parties. Uh, a poor man who has a debt that he cannot pay off uh, would sign an agreement with someone else that he would work for that person for a certain number of years in exchange for shelter, clothing, provision for his daily needs, and ultimately then payment of his debts. So it was an agreed-upon contract. And, and during that, those years, he would be considered the property of, of his master. Uh, also, young men. Young men would often sign up to be slaves for a certain number of years in order to learn a new trade. It was an apprenticeship in, in that day. Uh, so the master would agree to teach the slave his trade, and then after so many years, the slave would, would set free and, and go and start his own business or, or just as often work as sort of a subcontractor for his former master. Uh, so sometimes slavery in, in the ancient world was voluntary and temporary. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes it, it was not. Uh, prisoners of war would, would usually become slaves. When Rome went to war, the enemy's soldiers would be taken and put into slavery. In fact, the city of Rome was largely built by slaves who were prisoners of war. Uh, and sadly, in, in that day, it often happened that children would be taken as slaves. Uh, Roman culture had very little respect for human life. Uh, infanticide, the killing of infants, was very common in that day, uh, just as it is in our day through, through abortion. And so if parents wanted a boy instead of a girl, 
they could simply kill the infant, and there were no legal consequences for doing so. Uh, unwanted infants would often be literally left out in the trash uh, in the morning, and, and it could, they would either die there or someone would pick them up, and they'd be slaves for, for whoever picked them up. Uh, so one can only imagine the kinds of horrors that, uh, that, that Christians had to deal with in, in the Roman culture. Uh, and, and it was actually the Christians who, who first stood up and condemned this practice as a movement. They were well known for condemning infanticide and for condemning abortion, because uh, they did have abortion in that day as well, uh, and also condemning this sort of abuse of children, taking them as, as slaves. When we look at all of that as a whole, what we want to recognize is that slavery in the ancient world was a more complex uh, institution than slavery was in in North and South America. Uh, There obviously was much abuse, much that was wrong and evil, but there were also legitimate cases of slavery uh, that that served the benefit of those who had agreed to it by, by contract. And, and all of these are just lumped together into this broad category of, of bond servants uh, to whom the Bible speaks. That's the first point we want to recognize, that it was complex. Uh, secondly, we also want to recognize the Bible explicitly condemns kidnapping and, and what it calls man-stealing. Uh, the, the, the kind of slavery that was practiced in the Americas where people were kidnapped enslaved and, and then traded is unambiguously condemned in Scripture. Uh, in, in fact, Scripture places a death penalty on that kind of slavery. Uh, Exodus 21, verse 16, Whoever steals a man and sells him, as well as anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. That wasn't a verse that was preached on very often in, in 18th century and 19th century America. Uh, but Scripture condemns man-stealing. Uh, and that's true in the New Testament as well. Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 9, uh, he says, "...the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and sinners, for unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, and for enslavers." He lists that, slave traders among them, as well as liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The New Testament clearly condemns the kind of slavery that was practiced in, in the Americas. Uh, that, that, that whole trade is inconsistent with the gospel uh, and unmistakably contrary to it. Thirdly, we want to recognize also that even in cases of, of what you might call legitimate slavery, the sort of apprenticeships and bondservants relationships that existed, uh, we want to recognize that even there, the Bible calls slaves to seek their freedom if they can obtain it legitimately. Now again, for those who are kidnapped and sold unjustly, um, seeking their slavery means running away and getting out if at all possible. If Scripture condemns the act of stealing them, Scripture certainly gives them the right to, to flee from it. Uh, and, and this is why, why Christians in the Americas already supported things like the Underground Railway, the, the, the way that slaves often escaped from the South. Uh, but even for those slaves who entered by agreement, Scripture teaches that that status of slave or bondservant is still not God's design for them. Uh, we were made to be free. So Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, "...were you a bondservant when called to Christ?" 
Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price, so do not become bondservants of men. Uh, so we are, as Christians, we're called to be free. Uh, slavery is inconsistent with God's design for us. And finally, we also want to recognize then that these principles, these gospel principles uh, laid down in texts like these, both Old and New Testament, um, and these principles also like we see in our text of loving your servants, um, of masters treating slaves fairly and justly, working for their well-being as Christ works for ours. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, These principles uh, ultimately led to the abolition of slavery in Europe and in North America. and so we want to recognize these, these, the whole gospel impulse is towards the end of the, sla- the institution of slavery. Now we also want to recognize the New Testament, as well as the Old, um, the New Testament was written to Christians or to, to those who feared God, to, to believers in God, not to the Roman Empire. Uh, So, uh, sometimes we hold Scripture to a a standard that it it was not meant for. Um, So, people will argue, why didn't Scripture explicitly condemn all these different forms of slavery? Because Scripture was written to Christians, not to the Roman Empire. It wasn't written to Caesar. Uh, And so, yeah, there are issues in Rome that go unaddressed in Scripture because Scripture wasn't written to Rome. It was written to the church, a tiny persecuted group, and it was aimed at the concerns of the church, not of Rome. Uh, At the same time, Jesus teaches us that that the kingdom of God, which begins as this tiny persecuted church, the kingdom of God will work as leaven in the world, transforming, changing the culture, and and ultimately leavening the whole lump. Uh, That's that's Jesus' parable in, in Matthew 13. Uh, And so the gospel principles laid down in Scripture for the church ultimately did lead to the abolition of slavery even in the culture. Uh, If masters are are called as Christians to work for the well-being of their slaves, uh, then that obviously means what's their well-being? Their education, their independence, and ultimately their freedom, and that's what you see in, in Christians, in those in slave owners who became Christians, that they worked for the well-being and ultimately freedom of their slaves. Uh, you find an example of this even in Scripture with, with a runaway slave named Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus is probably the person who carried this letter of Colossians uh, from Paul to the Colossians. So he was a, a slave held by, by a slave owner, Philemon, uh, who was in the church in Colossae. And he was a runaway slave. He had run away and then come into contact with Paul uh, in Rome. And then uh, with Paul, he became a Christian. And, and so along with this letter to Colossians, Paul wrote a second letter, Philemon, which he sent with Onesimus back to Onesimus' former owner. And there he calls Onesimus to let this man go free now that he's a fellow Christian. Uh, so we see a specific example of the gospel leading to, to freedom. So it, it would be very wrong then if we were just to assume that because the Bible contains instructions to slave owners, uh, that therefore the Bible affirms 
the, the institution of slavery, and particularly the kind of slavery that we're familiar with. Uh, that kind of slavery is soundly condemned. And even the kind of slavery that is, that is given room for for a time uh, is, still, uh, is still given with the impulse towards freedom. And, and it's because of this that everywhere, literally everywhere where Christianity has historically been practiced, slavery as an institution has been abolished. Uh, those who fought for the abolition of slavery, even like in modern times, those who are fighting for the abolition of the sex trade and that slavery are, are largely Bible-believing Christians working out of gospel principles. So that was our point zero. Uh, to, to get us started. Uh, having said all that, what does the, what does, uh, the Bible teach us uh, concerning uh, these relationships between slaves and masters? Uh, the principles that are laid down here between slaves and masters uh, also imply, uh, apply to employers and employees. Uh, it's not exactly the same relationship, but in many respects there are close parallels from, for, for which reason we should take instruction as employees and employers. So listen to the text before us again as an employee or an employer. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. The command to bond servants is to obey. Now, if you are an employee, you, you, do, you have, uh, just like these, these bond servants, you have placed yourself under the authority of, of your employer. And, and therefore, you must, as long as you are their employee, you must obey them. Uh, you, you have the freedom to quit your job if you want, but as long as they're signing your paycheck, you are under their authority and called to obedience. Now, of course, uh, just as, as Scripture calls wives to submit to their husbands or children to obey their parents, uh, so, so employees are not to obey their employers in matters of sin. There, there are, there's always the recognition that there's a higher authority above any human authority. Uh, so if your boss is asking you to cheat, to lie, to, to steal, uh, to fudge the numbers to hide information from the customers that the customers ought to know, uh, or anything else that's contrary to God's law, you have a higher obligation to obey God rather than men. Uh, and, and that might mean uh, respectfully telling your employer that you can't do what they're asking because, because it's wrong. It might mean even going to the police because they've asked you to do something that is illegal, and, and there there ought to be those consequences. Uh, or, or even if they're asking you to do something that's, that's technically legal, but, but still ethically, morally wrong, uh, it may involve you saying, I, I can't work in this job anymore because this is not what Christ would have me do. And, and then you go and find a job where you can operate as a Christian. Uh, it, uh, one of the fundamental principles here is your job is not worth your soul. Your job is not worth your soul. You do have to give an account for all that you do, including what you do under the authority of, of your boss. Uh, but if what you are asked to do is legal and, and moral and, and legitimate, then you must obey. Your boss is your God-given authority and should be honored as such. Now, here do we, we do well to consider Peter's instructions uh, that, that we read to bondservants in 1 Peter 2, where he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, 
but also to the unjust. Scripture is not naive that there, are, there is such a thing as an unjust boss. Uh, but Christians should not join the company of employees who spend their time at the water fountain complaining about how unjust their boss is. Uh, they are rather to, to be subject to their masters with all respect. Uh, if, if slaves were to be subject to their masters, how much more shouldn't employees who are there by agreement, by, by agreed-upon contract? And so as employees, uh, if you have complaints for your employer, direct it directly to to them or to the authorities above them. Do not complain behind their backs. This runs counter to the respect uh, that Christians are called to give. And and that kind of thing, complaining behind their backs, only produces bitterness. It only, uh, it, it does nothing for your good and your sanctification. And so uh, Paul says again, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Uh, the big idea here is uh, your work environment is, is, is a unique opportunity for you to practice serving and submitting to the Lord. So you serve your employer as one who's working for the Lord. Uh, We should recognize in in this, as Christians, uh, as human beings, we were made to work. Uh, Work is not a result of the fall. It's not something that only, be, that only came after. Now, it did become bitter um, and, and more frustrating after the fall, but the reality of work uh, as our daily op- occupation is a feature, not a bug. It's part of God's original design. Uh, and so wherever our workplace is, there is our opportunity to serve God by serving our employer. Now, if, if, if some of us might say, yeah, but that workplace is just, it's not cut out for me. It's not ideal for, for my gifts and my talents. Uh, as free people, we do have the opportunity then to go and seek somewhere else to work. Uh, but even if we are s- stuck, so to speak, just stuck for a time, working in a job that, that is unfulfilling, uh, that's not where we want to be, we can nonetheless learn there what it is to serve the Lord uh, even when we'd rather be doing something else. Uh, We can learn there the discipline, the work ethic, uh, and the Christian attitude of serving the Lord uh, that we will need later when we're called to the job that we actually want to go to. Uh, We we learn these skills. So even in the most tedious and and meaningless uh, or menial jobs, uh, those most important life skills of discipline, of work ethic, uh, are learned, and those skills transfer to whatever other career God may call you to go. Uh, So you can have a boring and unfulfilling job and still learn there the most important skill for the job that you ultimately want to have. For students, the same is also true of of your time in school. Uh, I've never met a student who didn't complain at least about some subject that I'm never going to use this later in life. And yet, we're still called to obey in everything those who are earthly masters, which in this case would be 
our teachers. Uh, obey them as if you're obeying the Lord, as an opportunity to express your, your submission and obedience to the Lord. And, and recognize that the primary point of education uh, is not primarily, I might get in trouble for this, not primarily the content that is transferred over, uh, but rather the, the skills that are learned along the way. Uh, so you might hate algebra, for example, and you might even be right that you'll never use it again in your life. I'll be honest, my algebra is, is probably at a sixth grade level. Uh, but that's not why you're learning it. Uh, you're learning it for the sake of the discipline and work ethic and mental sharpening that comes along the way. Uh, this is true both for academic work and for, for phys ed. Uh, you're not necessarily in phys ed because your, your teacher thinks that you've got a shot at professional sports. Uh, that's not why you're there, but rather to learn skills like self-discipline, perseverance, teamwork that transfer wherever God calls you to go next. So the big idea in this text is we are called to work as those who work for Christ, and our service is rendered to Christ no matter who our employer might be, whether a good man or woman or an evil man or woman. Uh, for slaves in particular, there's a, there's a special reminder in our text in verse 25, uh, as well as for those who work and feel like they're slaves, uh, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality with God. Is that not a comfort for those of us who feel like we're being treated like slaves? As Christians, we want to emphasize the, the importance of, of hard work, the importance of faithful service, showing up on time, keeping your word, uh, being trustworthy and responsible. But that does not mean that as Christians we believe that, that all employers are just and fair. Uh, that's, that's simply not real life. Uh, and you see this even more emphatically in, in the text we read from Peter, uh, where he specifically acknowledges there are masters who are unjust and unfair. Uh, they do exist. Uh, there are employers and, and CEOs who, who don't have their, be their employees' best interests at heart. They, they do exist. Uh, who, there, are, there are employers who pressure their employees into working overtime without pay, uh, who refuse to provide benefits that, that before God they ought to provide. And, and that was all the more true between, between masters and slaves. Uh, slaves had no rights at all. Their, their masters could use them at their own whim and even have them killed uh, if they wanted to in, in the Roman culture. Uh, but here, Paul reminds us that no matter what your master may do, God is still keeping the accounts. God still keeps all the accounts. The master who was harsh to his slave here on earth will be on the receiving end of God's harshness after this life. God will not forget the wrong that was done. Uh, the, the employer who, who takes advantage of his employees uh, will receive the same from God after this life. He will know what it is like to be disadvantaged and helpless. Uh, the boss, likewise, who, who may be perfectly legal, but who lives an extravagant life and gives his employees the absolute bare minimum, uh, may be doing right by the law, but not by the law of God. Uh, God is keeping his accounts. Uh, the servant who is faithful will be rewarded. The master who is cruel will likewise be rewarded in accordance with, with his cruelty. 
Uh, so verse 24, Know that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. For those slaves then who worked faithfully for hard and unjust masters, uh, the promise is that God is still keeping their accounts. Their bank account may be empty, but their heavenly bank account is not. There is a reward for faithful service. And, and more often than not, even in, even in unfair environments, God does still reward faithful service, even in this life. Uh, God's laws are good, and they are there for our, our good. Uh, as we learn what it is to live kingdom down and not, not culture up, uh, we begin to discover also the goodness of God's will for our lives, even here in this life. Now you think of Proverbs 22, verse 29, which says, Do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. And and, and so many of us have seen exactly what this looks like. A man who's skillful in his work and faithful in it will stand before kings. Uh, my my mother-in-law worked as a seamstress her entire life. Uh, she makes uniforms for, for different companies. And, and she'll get up uh, for the last 30 years. She's gotten up early in the morning, worked late till night. And she always, she works fast. She does her work accurately, and it's always on time. It's very simple work. It's not high-paying work. And, and yet, uh, in many ways, she stands before kings. When the recession hit in Brazil uh, a few years ago, uh, massive numbers of people were out of work, and seamstresses were, were one of the first to, to lose their jobs because uh, these, these companies are shutting down and they don't need uniforms anymore. And yet, while so many others were looking for work, the work never slowed down uh, for my mother-in-law. She stood, as it were, before kings. And, and the same, uh, many Christians in the Roman Empire and in the early church would say the same things. Uh, slaves who worked faithfully for years often ended up winning the favor of their, of their masters and gaining their freedom, uh, being given uh, that, that, that freedom. And, and even if they didn't become free, they were often, very often, put into high places with, with higher responsibilities and greater privileges. As I mentioned earlier, many doctors and teachers uh, were, were slaves, and yet, even if, even if the reward does not come in this life in any way, God is still keeping our accounts. We are serving Christ, not ultimately our boss. We serve our boss because it's service rendered to Christ. Now, in our text, there's, there's a word to, to slaves. There's also a word to masters. Uh, again, to those masters who own slaves wrongfully, the word of God would have been, set your slaves free. Uh, he who steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. The word from God is set your, your illegitimate slaves free. Uh, you think of the warning in James 5, verse 4 as well. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's the word of God to unjust, evil masters. Uh, but those masters who, who owned slaves that were in their service faithfully uh, or, or lawfully and justly, the command is, is very short but very, very simple. Uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, so what we want to recognize is that all, all of the relationships we've seen so far in Colossians 3, whether it's from uh, between husband and wife, between parents and children, and between masters and slaves, all of them are meant to be pictures and reflections 
of our relationship between us and, and, and our Father in heaven. Uh, so Christian masters are to remember that they too have a master in heaven and then are, they are to treat their slaves as their father treats them. It is to be a reflection of that heavenly relationship. And so there is a word here to, uh, to masters and there's a word that we may transfer over then to employers as well. And we have in our church, we have both employers and employees, as well as people that are, that are in between, you know, managers who are uh, both in authority and, and under authority. And the word to those who are given authority is to be just and fair, recognizing that you too have a boss or a manager in heaven. Uh, justice and fairness then means that employers do right by their employees. They give them dignity. They give them the wages uh, that they need. They give them the, the appropriate benefits. Uh, they recognize that at the end of the day, we are all made in the image of God, and we will all stand on a level ground before God. Now, justice and fairness do not mean that, that an employer must have only the same wages as, as his employees. Uh, there, there are uh, more factors involved. There's a great deal of risk and sacrifice and responsibility that business owners take on, and their wages reflect that. But justice and fairness does mean that employers need to care. They need to care about the well-being of their employees and recognize that uh, they have a responsibility to make sure that their employees are receiving all that they need, all that they ought to receive. It was Christian businesses who first initiated the practice of, of providing things like health and, and dental benefits to their employees, even before it was legally required. Uh, one of the first businesses to do so, if you want to read up on it, was uh, the Guinness Company in, in Ireland, uh, in Dublin, uh, which of course makes the, the famous beer by that name. And, and there's, a, there's a wonderful book about that, that company, um, The Search for God in Guinness, and it shows how this worked out in actual practice in this company, uh, how the, the Christian principles held by the employers worked their way down in, in, into the company making sure that in every way they did right by their employees. And, and that was in an industrial age, long before the arrival of, of unions, when it was perfectly normal for companies to take full advantage of their employees and give them the absolute bare minimum. Uh, very often, employees in that day were, were used their whole life and then discarded as they became older and sick and, and, and were given no care afterwards. Uh, and, and it was Christian principles that caused these things to, to change. Uh, and so in, in our day, too, the relationship between employees and, uh, employers and employees uh, is a highly uh, contentious and political, even political issue in our day. As Christians, we are to be the voice of justice and mercy in an age uh, where, where there is chaos, where there is envy, and where there is greed. We as Christians are to stand out from our culture and to stand out from asking what does the law require of me only and to ask what does God's law require of me as an employer. Uh, politically conservative 
Christian movements, or not even necessarily Christian movements, politically conservative movements tend to sympathize with the rights of, of business owners and employers because they do face many difficulties in our present age, in an age that's dominated by things like unions and, and government uh, interference. And, and biblically speaking, there, there are strong biblical principles behind that. Uh, the union laws in this country, uh, biblically speaking, are legalized theft. Uh, they are legalized theft. To be able to go on strike and have immunity from, from losing your job is theft. It's taking a company hostage. Uh, you do not have a right to any wage but the wage that you agreed upon. You, you think of the Lord Jesus' parable as well of, of the, the different servants who uh, came at different hours of the day and they all agreed upon a certain wage. And, and the, Jesus says to them, this was the wage you agreed upon. Um, now, it may, be, it may be good, it may be even just and right for your employer to say, I need to give more than what I agreed to give, uh, but that is not your right to demand from them. Uh, and, and it runs, to do so, runs contrary to every biblical command uh, regarding honesty towards one employer and respect for their property and their rights. Uh, and so... Likewise, as, as Christians, we, we rightly affirm principles like free markets and, and capitalism. These are not just political issues. They are, they are biblical issues. Uh, thou shalt not steal means there is property that does not belong to you that you have no right to take, uh, nor even to envy. Uh, so communism is a demonic ideology. Uh, the idea that you may envy the property of your neighbor and take it from them in the, in the name of fairness is, is theft. Uh, and, and so it, it is right then on the one side that Christians want to affirm uh, the rights and freedoms of, of, of businesses provided their biblical rights and freedoms. At the same time, we should be careful uh, to emphasize that businesses and employers do have a responsibility before God to do right by their employers, and to even pursue the well-being of their employees. Uh, They will have to give an account to God for the way that they've treated their workers. Uh, There are unfair business owners and CEOs. Uh, As Christians, we need to be just as diligent in calling in calling out immoral business practices and unfair treatments of employers as we are in, in calling out uh, ideologies that are contrary to, to Scripture. Uh, just because employment is voluntary does not mean it's automatically fair or right. Uh, employers do have responsibilities before God. And, and so again, for, for this reason, Bible-believing Christians often find themselves in, in somewhat of a third way between the cultural debates of, of our age. Uh, our culture will be divided between simply those who take the side of employers and those who take the side of employees. Uh, but as Christians, we live kingdom down, not culture up. Uh, we recognize we have a good and a just master in heaven who has brought us into his kingdom to live with him, to work for him. And, and so we recognize that that means we take his kingdom down to earth to work out what does justice and fairness look like here on earth in our context. Uh, we have a kingdom, we're, we're part of a kingdom where those who labor will, will labor diligently from their heart in honesty 
and in fairness, and those who employ will exercise the same fairness and justice that God shows towards them, as well as the same mercy that God shows towards them. So, brothers and sisters, uh, in all of this, be encouraged by the grace of God that has been shown to you. Remember, it is God who keeps your accounts. In Christ, we have an inheritance, the forgiveness of our sins, the redemption of our bodies, and His promise is that those who love Him, who trust Him, will inherit the earth. Uh, He is bringing every evil, every injustice to an end. And he calls us then as as kings uh, anointed with Christ, as kings to fight with a good and free conscience against sin and against every work of darkness, to labor for the, the building of his kingdom here on this earth in the way that that looks like here on this earth. So let your daily work, whether it be swinging a hammer, welding, uh, changing diapers, keeping accounts, milking cows, whatever else it is that God has called you to do, let it be an embodiment of his kingdom here on earth and a ministry of his kingdom here on earth. Serve the Lord Christ, your gracious King, and rejoice in the privilege of not only being ruled by him, but being able to rule on behalf of him. Amen.